Welcome to the Violet Ghost Train, where Halloween never ends, where Christmas Eve is always haunted, and where every summer's day ends in a thunderstorm. I'm your host, Crow Violet. Join us. Precious blue and yellow sapphires. What kind of world can you see from where you are? I wonder. I'd love to know. Right here where I am, it is currently the 12th of December and the world is swinging 13 days towards the Christmas day. And frankly, everything seems so strange and enchanted right now. It almost gives me shivers. Enchantments take lots of different forms, I guess. Christmas is always a bit like that. And it, it, it's absolute bliss in some ways because my ADHD gets the stimulus it needs to keep me actually active and non-zombified. But also, my autism gets so much overload that it flips out really easily. I remember in Christmas meltdowns as decorating the tree as a kid, and on Christmas morning being so excited that I actually got sick. I'm sure everyone likes that thought. You know what? I might edit that bit. Everything is tiny lights and drunken sounds at night. Sometimes that's good, sometimes not. I have to say, the majority, I love it. I love that atmosphere, that vibe, that feeling. And it's the, for me, it's, it's the bitter cold of adventures that always ends up somewhere you didn't expect by dawn. For what's a life without adventure, darlings? In the little suburbs around here in Sheffield, there were once villages... Ah, well, the suburbs were once villages in their own rights, and they still have their own carols now, unique to each place. Imagine that weight of traditional. Imagine the years. I mean, even if they're only 100 years old or whatever, only in inverted commas. Imagine the power, the repetition of it, ritual that creates an emotional effect. Isn't that what special days are about, special times of the year? Repeating our rituals, repeating the same actions, even if we're not even aware that they are rituals, and generating really strange emotional effects. And that kind of relates to this theme of adventure and the unexpected that I'm trying to talk about this week a bit. Adventure, the simple joy of not knowing what's going to happen next. When you find out that moment when the well-worn streets that you've crossed constantly throughout a year, they're suddenly unknown and unexpected. Because you never know what's coming sometimes. Hopefully it's a good thing. And that's another thing that happens at this time of year, isn't it? It's a festival of misrule, an aspect that I think sometimes has been a bit neglected. This is the time when everything gets reversed and made strange. That can just mean the horror of appalling office parties, but who am I to judge? I've known people who found office parties absolutely heavenly, to vaguely paraphrase Emmerich Pressburger. I never found heaven at an office party. It's not really that unpredictable, that is it? Have you met me? If you have, hi. The Festival of Misrule, then. I mean, traditionally, a lot of this would have been, actually, in fact, would have been the Feast of Fools, which is on the 1st of January. But if you want precise and accurate historical and folklore details, go and find a halfway decent podcaster. 
because I'm all about effect and emotion and drama over here, as I'm sure you've gathered by now. In my extensive research on this, which involved a book on folklore, The Law of the Land, I forget who that's by, and as many as two tabs open on Wikipedia... I've noticed this, there's bits of confusion, as usual, with sort of ancient festivals, especially ones that date back to Roman times. There's a bit of confusion about what actually happened. There's at least one version that says that the Festival of Misrule and the Feast of Fools would end with a sort of year king human sacrifice, Wicker Man style. But that's James Fraser saying that, and I've never quite trusted Fraser for some reason. I think I don't quite know what his sources are occasionally. It was apparently also associated a little bit with genderqueer, very prototypical early period genderqueering, shall we say. By which I mean, um, in Roman times, sort of 300 AD, something like that, cis male soldiers dressing as women and getting very into it by all accounts and what I've read. And I can't decide if I think that's great, or if I think it's great in a drag way, or if it's just annoying that it's like the drunken lads you see out in dresses for a bet downtown. A bet. Yeah, right, a bet. Like, yeah, I bet I look hot in this. That's a really poor joke, I'm sorry. But in this way are just another few more trans eggs cracked and released from captivity. We can see this theme of misrule as well in Shakespeare. Twelfth Night, in fact. For those unfamiliar with Twelfth Night, it's set in May. But it's called Twelfth Night because it was designed to be performed at the end of the Christmas Misrule revelries. It's a play all about Misrule. It's a play about disguise and reversals of all kinds. You know, the oppressive boss characters were all, you know, the the specific oppressive broth who is um, very puritanical and a few others as well. But they all either end up looking daft or getting locked away in error. And you get sort of elderly titled types who are supposed to be respectable causing wild chaos instead, but Best of all in Twelfth Night, grief becomes lust, quite frankly, as characters sh- shift from kind of tragic despair to basically having them raging home for each other, which is a bit I especially like. And weirdest of all, I always like the end of Twelfth Night is my favourite bit, weirdly, for all the daft stuff and comedy that happens in it. it. Shakespeare chooses to finish Twelfth Night in a really interesting way after all this fun stuff's happened. He reminds the audience that the season's about to an end and you've got to return to the world of the wind and the rain. There's a song of that name at the end of it. I used to trouble me when I was a kid, when I first saw Twelfth Night, because I was that kind of kid. Um, but it used to trouble me a lot and it troubles me a bit less now. I think it bothered me, the wind and the rain thing bothered me when I was a kid because of the sadness implicit in it that wonderful times have to end. It troubles me less nowadays because, you know, firstly, I'm in the whole Zen embrace impermanence thing. And secondly, I think wind and rain are just fine for dancing anyway. Dancing in the wind and the rain with everyone that you love. The people closest to my heart are such good dancers, darlings. There's a set of social conventions there. See, there is a point to all this. There's a set of social conventions that say we can't have misrule and delight in our lives apart from two weeks in December and maybe a bit in August. Well, to hell with that. To tinselly hell with that. Leave your tree up all year and do what thou wilt, I say. See, it becomes socially acceptable in December to do stuff like... for many people, drink in the mornings, to eat an entire chocolate orange by lunchtime. That's one of your five a day, surely, a chocolate orange. 
I'm suddenly remembered of like Terry's Chocolate Lemon, which just wasn't successful. No one seems to remember Terry's Chocolate Lemon. They were really nice. I liked them a lot. But yeah, I got distracted thinking about Chocolate Lemons then. And get all these people letting go of their inhibitions at this time of year. The things they normally hold to all year long. Why do you hold to that all year long? Kissing that person, staying out that late, wearing that outfit. The very essence of misrule, I suppose. The chaos that part of us craves gets out of play, doesn't it? But why only once a year? Why only at these times, once or twice a year? Why? What do we have to lose by completely embracing misrule and going on endless vacation? Because I do find it a bit sad. And not to, I don't want to come across as all superior or anything, but what, what's stopping you kissing whoever you want anyway? If they like you, if they want to kiss you too, what's stopping you? Believe me, it is never good to wait to kiss someone for that long. And yes, that bit is about you. Hi. Ahem. Why do you wait until December to wear that outfit? You can put it on for work if you want to. I mean, there's always consequences of actions, but I decided a long time ago that I wouldn't live a life waiting for Christmas. If we want presents and a tree up in June, we are going to do that. Which, that's about a 50% euphemism, but you can decide what it's for. Christmas TV then as well. What am I watching at the moment? Well, clearly, it's December. I'm watching the Box of Delights. Now, naturally, most people listening to the Pretty much everyone listening to this, only about 20 of you, um, will surely know Box of Delights really well. I'm not going to go into massive detail about it, but oh my God, that cast every year, it still gets me. Especially Patrick Trout. How amazing is Patrick Trout in the Box of Delights? It's fantastic. The fact it's a TV show for kids from the 80s that features both Hearn the Hunter and evil Jazz Age fancy witches. And I'm continuing my ghost stories for Christmas marathon. I think I will do the signalman on Christmas Eve. <laughs> That's a statement I should probably rephrase, isn't it? Um, I'll watch The Signalman on Christmas Eve, the Charles Dickens adaptation. That's really creepy. It features horrible eyeless ghost thing coming out of a railway tunnel it's a beautifully creepy story very simple and perfect and foggy and cold and dark and super super christmas evening and christmas films another thing i'm not gonna christmas films again really overdone but there's one i want to talk about for a bit as a film i really love it doesn't get a lot of christmas attention and it was always on at christmas so I associate it. And there was a novelisation published that I got given when I was about 10 years old for Christmas, as a Christmas present. And it's a film called The Glitter Ball. As I say, it was always on at Christmas, but it, it seems a bit bleak and New Year's-y in its aesthetic. You know, a weird New Year's coldness. I was going to talk about that today, but I'm going to save it until it is actually New Year's. Just to make everyone feel really great. But anyway, it's got a weird New Year's aesthetic to it, even though it's kind of supposed to be a Christmassy film. It's made by the Children's Film Foundation. It's about an hour and 15 minutes long, an hour and 10 minutes. I'm, I'm not going to talk masses about it because the plot summary is just genius. I wrote a plot summary for it, which is completely accurate. And if you've not seen it, this is like a beautiful thing. Right. It's a Children's Film Foundation film about two kids who meet a sentient ball bearing with telekinetic abilities in this kind of very bleak public information film style shot on 16mm Newtown in 1977 and they get into a feud and a fight 
with a local thief while they're also getting chased by a sinister RAF van with radar on the roof that screeches round the streets like the Sweeney took up TV license detecting or something. Yeah, that's, that, that, that really does sum it up. It's about a sentient ball bearing, literally. And it's, it's stop motion animated for a lot of it, or like reverse footage, so you know, you bounce the ball down the stairs and then wind the footage back so it looks like it's going upstairs. It's a really, really odd film, really strangely bleak and quiet, but it's also really Christmas because it is a glitter ball. And it kind of looks like a Christmas tree bauble as well as a ball bearing. It's a really odd film. The climax, spoilers, don't care. Thousands of glitter balls attack the villain. And it's that's actually kind of creepy and oppressive. Again, in this sort of very bleak, fluorescent, light-lit 70s supermarket. It's a really, really odd... It's like a winter of discontent um, version of E.T. But with ball bearings. <laughs> Actually making myself laugh with that description. Seriously, it it turns up on talking pictures um, TV a lot. I, I don't have access to that anymore because I've destroyed my TV license over anger at the transphobia inherent in the BBC. But maybe you haven't. Maybe you can find it. I think I've got it. I've got like copy. I've got got I've got at least two copies of the Glitterball and the book it's based on. That's hilarious. Oh, this is my actual life. Oh, and 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 right, it's. All I mean, the whole dementedness of it is beautiful. It's all rain and rust and cold air, and like everyone's breath's a bit steamy because it's so cold. And they filmed it obviously, and it, it it's got that sort of feel like it's just after Christmas, like I say. But ru- rain, rust, cold air, and pylons. It's got so many pylons in it. There are so many pylons in this film, and actually, there's one point where a pylon is a huge plot point and features massively, and the aesthetic of it. It's that weird fusion, not 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 folk horror, but it's that same kind of fusion, like the you know the way new towns sort of fade out into countryside, and then you get the pylons in the fields, but you turn a corner and you're back in some little sort of shopping centre place. Ah, oh, how can you not love it from this description alone? God, what is the glitter ball if you've got nothing better to do for an hour? <laughs> you know, it, it's not Mulholland Drive, but. I like it. it. I don't know what. It's a nice Christmassy movie to watch in the mornings when you're eating your chocolate orange and having your having your whiskey. Oh, sherry! That, I'm going to make a note for myself. Get a bottle of sherry in. Sherry and port. Yeah, they're Christmas drinks, aren't they? Let's get sherry and port in. Does anybody else want anything? Oh, you're not actually here, are you? Damn it! Why aren't you all here? God, you're in right laugh. But anyway, there's a very quick ghost train this week. Because I'm a bit tired. But there are 12 days to go. Or 13 days to go. There'll be 12 days now nearly. And I think I actually love it all this year. It varies. My mileage varies on Christmas. But this year I think I really love it all. The whole presents under the tree. My tree's all red lit. It's really good. Uh, mince pies. and that Full on Dionysian insanity. This is what we want. And I intend to go for it. And enjoy every second. If you want to kiss somebody. And they want to kiss you too. Do it. And you absolutely can get away with that skirt, darlings. And if you can get your puritanical boss locked into a cellar for creepily stalking to someone. Stalking to someone? For creepily stalking someone. (laughs) not even going to bother editing that. I'm really lazy today. Feel free to do it. 
smash down the class system and turn grief into raging lust ears. I will be back soon, my darlings. Misrule rules Ave Saturnalia. Thanks for listening to the Violet Ghost Train this week. You can find us on Twitter at CrowViolets or on Instagram, CrowViolet in singular. You have to ask for permission to follow. Or on our website, CrowViolet.com, again in the singular. I trust you enjoyed your ride on the Ghost Train, dears. See you next time. Mm-hmm.